Holy Spirit, open our ears to hear your words and open our hearts to receive them. Encourage us in faith to share your good news promise as we serve you, each other, and the world as your disciples. We ask this in your holy name. Amen. Today we are talking about what it means to hear and follow Christ through the lens of two very different people from the Bible. One is from our Old Testament reading and one is from our Gospel reading, the prophet Samuel and the apostle Nathaniel, also called Bartholomew. And we're going to be mostly focusing on Nathaniel. But let me first set the stage. Seven days ago, the church recognised the baptism of our Lord Jesus Christ as he began his ministry on earth, a ministry that would culminate in his willing death and resurrection in Jerusalem. At his baptism, in the presence of the assembled Jews, including merchants, soldiers and religious leaders, the Almighty God, Heavenly Father, proclaimed the one he had sent to save the world from sin, death and the devil. Forty days later, after his temptation and the imprisonment of John the Baptist, Jesus began calling disciples to him. First were four simple fishermen of Bethsaida, Simon, James, John and Andrew. Next, still in Bethsaida, he called Philip before departing for Galilee. And this brings us to Nathaniel. Listen to Philip's excited exclamation for today's reading. We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. This is the proclamation of the Lord. Christ has come. But how does Nathaniel respond? Not with joy and excitement, as we might expect, but with doubt. He doesn't immediately believe it. He says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? It's a bit blunt. Nathaniel's not hiding his scepticism. There's Philip, eyes shining, smiling widely, enthusiastically declaring Christ, and his friend is completely nonplussed. How many of us can relate to Philip in that moment? How many have spoken of Christ to someone who doesn't believe? and received that response. Sure. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. But Philip's not dissuaded. Come and see, he tells his friend. Come and see. And he does. And before getting close, Jesus sees him and calls out. Now, there are a couple of things to note here. Firstly, there's no indication that Jesus specifically sent Philip to find Nathanael. The two were likely friends. Philip is from Bethsaida and Nathanael is from Cana. And while it's a bit of a walk, the two cities are relatively close together. Secondly, Jesus knows Nathanael. He calls him an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. This surprises Nathanael, who demands to know how Jesus knows him. And Jesus replies, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. When Jesus says, you were under the fig tree, he likely means that Nathaniel was praying at home in Cana. Under the fig tree is a Jewish idiom for prayer and meditation to God. For example, from Micah 4.4, 4, 
Everyone will sit under their own vine and under their own fig tree, and no one will make them afraid, for the Lord Almighty has spoken. So Nathaniel was likely praying at home in Cana before Philip arrived. It's about a four to five walk, hour walk from Bethsaida to Cana, and the same again to Galilee. So how could Jesus have seen Nathaniel praying in the morning before Philip even arrived in Cana? But there's more to it. Jesus is answering Nathaniel's question. How do you know me? And Jesus isn't just saying, oh, I saw you physically under the fig tree. He's saying, I heard what you prayed this morning. This is how I know you are truly an Israelite without deceit. There's a moment of understanding here, the import of which brings immediate conviction and certainty. Nathaniel exclaims, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Have you had a moment of clarity in your relationship with Jesus? A moment of epiphany? Our psalm for today, Psalm 139, is one of my favourites. And it begins, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. God knows us. God sees us. God hears us. And God calls us. He calls some to great visible works, like the mighty prophet Samuel, whom we heard of in our first reading. And he calls some to patient, unseen, humble service, like Nathaniel. But he calls us all. There's no gospel of Nathaniel. In fact, there's minimal mention of him beyond that he was present at the Lord's Supper and in the upper room when Christ appeared after the resurrection. But God says, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. God treasures Nathaniel just as much as all the other prophets and apostles. And we see the same thing in the church today. We are all called to serve Christ in the way that he made us. And it is all necessary service to knit the parts of the body together as one whole. These are the good works that God has prepared for us beforehand. Thirdly, Nathaniel calls Jesus rabbi, that is, teacher. And indeed, Christ is our teacher. And we are his disciples. And we need to know how to live as his disciples. From Second Peter chapter 3, verses 10 to 12, we hear, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. Our second reading today deals with one part of living at peace with Christ, living holy and godly lives. And it's a challenging reading. Paul is facing the early Corinthian church, a church he helped plant. The believers in Corinth have fallen into moral disarray, they need guidance. One of the chief concerns was that the idea that after conversion, 
A Christian had no need for the law and was free to do what they pleased. This is called antinomianism, or against the law. And it's a word related to the Greek anomias, translated as lawlessness in the New Testament. And this led to many sinful activities in that faith community. So Paul responds to the claims of some of the leaders of the church at Corinth. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. This is the primary conceit. If our salvation is assured in Christ and God intends to destroy all things and make them new, why should we concern ourselves with what we do? But Paul continues, The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. Paul further clarifies that whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. This isn't a metaphorical oneness. We are one with Christ. Through our baptism, we are united with him, die with him, and are resurrected with him. This belonging, this oneness with Christ, is the essence of discipleship. The Holy Spirit, who is in us, teaches, empowers, and leads us to follow Christ and faithfully serve him. The Holy Spirit grows us and grows in us when we regularly engage with God's word and sacraments. And it is because of this call to holiness that we cannot interpret the forgiveness of God as a license to sin or seek our own way. It is an unmerited mercy that we should be constantly grateful for as we stumble and fall. So how do we apply this to our own lives? The first is to hear the teaching and heed the conviction of the Holy Spirit particularly when you are aware of imminent temptation. Listen when he warns you that sin is crouching at your door. Let him lead you in confessing your sins regularly, not just in corporate worship here in church, but at home, under your own fig tree. Confess with an open and honest heart, like Nathaniel, holding nothing back from the Lord your God. The second is to receive God's gracious forgiveness through his word and sacraments. When we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins. And the objective element of this comes through sharing his holy meal. This is my blood which is shed for you for the forgiveness of all your sins. Be washed clean by our Lord and Saviour as often as sin is in your heart. Come for the sacrament even when sin is not in your heart because we all sin without knowing and the blood of Christ covers these sins too. Through the sacrament, we are renewed and refreshed, strengthened and empowered for life now and eternal. A week ago, I met a lady, an older Scottish lady at a bus stop. This was one of those times when God put you in a place for a purpose. We started talking and I could see her grief and distress. She disclosed that she was a heart attack survivor and in poor health. So I offered to pray for her, and she nodded. As I prayed for her, for her to be reconciled with God, to have peace in her heart, to be comforted in sickness and sorrow, I felt in me this certain desire, 
this absolute unwavering wish. I want this woman to be strengthened in body and soul. And it immediately recalled to me the communion of the saints and the words of the liturgy. The body and blood which you have received in this precious meal strengthen you in body and soul for life now and life eternal. At that moment, I felt the collision between what I wanted for this woman and what God offers his children through the sacrament. How precious it is to come and receive this medicine, Christ's cure for body and soul. Finally, follow Christ. He wants to work through you, and he has work for you. The gifts you receive in word and sacrament, God's providential blessings, and the power of the Holy Spirit are not for you alone, but for the growth of his kingdom. Let the Holy Spirit lead you to a life that honours God and shines the light of Christ in the world to everyone you meet. Let us pray. Jesus Christ, you have called us and claimed us. You have redeemed us from the power of sin, death and the devil. You have set our feet upon the straight and narrow path so that we can follow you, living lives that are pleasing to you, and that lead others to know your gracious love and mercy. Thank you, Lord. Amen.